Let us pray. Holy God, in these moments we spend together, encourage and challenge us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Life is full of moments that test us. You find yourself in a situation where you can either be frugal or lavish. Or you find yourself in a situation where you can be kind or abrupt. A situation where you can be generous or selfish. And all of those moments that we have where we make those kind of decisions, when we put them all together, they make for a life. A wise person put it this way, what you will be, you are now becoming. Let those words sink into your soul. What you, are, what you will be, you are now in the process of becoming. All of those little choices that I make, <clears throat> moment by moment, get cobbled together to become the story of my life. And that's <clears throat> precisely I think what today's story in Genesis is all about. By all of the choices you are making, who are you becoming? And how do you feel about who you are becoming? Abraham and Sarah gave birth to a child. We saw this last week and they named him Isaac. Once he grew up, he married Rebecca and Rebecca birthed two children, twins Esau, who was born first, as we heard, read, and then Jacob. And that's where we pick up this story, Genesis 25:27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was a man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man living in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game. But Rebekah loved Jacob because in, as the next verse tells us, Jacob liked the finer things in life, especially, apparently, cooking. So you're starting to get the picture, right? Esau is this quintessentially manly man, while Jacob is history's first ever metrosexual. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field because he was famished. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. And I can just see in this story here, Jacob rolling his eyes and saying, Esau, it's not red stuff. It's carne aravada, made with red peppers and lentils and lamb shoulder and garlic cloves. At which point Esau probably belches in his brother's face and says, yeah, like I said, give me some of that red stuff. At which point, the plot takes this really unexpected twist. Jacob says, okay, first sell me your birthright. Verse 31. And in that ancient culture, the firstborn was entitled, as you probably know, to a double portion of the inheritance. Twice as much Esau was going to get than his younger brother. Plus the right to rule the family. So that was Esau's birthright. Knowing his brother's impulsiveness, 
And also knowing that Esau was in a condition of extreme hunger, Jacob sees here an opening and he says, okay, you want some of that red stuff? You sell me your birthright. Esau says, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. Thus, 34, verse 34 says, Esau despised his birthright, traded it off for a bowl of red stew. And that's where the story ends. So what are we supposed to draw from this? As I thought about that this past week, the answer, I think, to that question begins, I believe, with this recognition that each one of us has been given a birthright. Now, I want to ask you to follow me now with this. Jesus tells us in John 4 that God is spirit, meaning that the essence of God is not matter or material, but something much deeper, something much more enduring, something that is infinite. The authors of the New Testament developed this notion, going on to say that we are children of God, meaning that we share on a deep level God's same essence in our own small way. Deep inside of these material, physical bodies lies the essence of who you and I are, which is a spirit being created in God's image. So here's a question. What is the birthright of a spirit being? 1 John 3, 2. Listen to this verse. Beloved, we are now God's children. What we will ultimately be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When Christ is revealed, we will be like him. Now, there's a lot in that verse to unpack. For, for starters, it tells us that we are in this process of becoming. Becoming, in fact, something so extraordinary that we cannot now conceive of it fully. It's not yet been revealed to us. But what we do know is that we are on a trajectory here in this life where we are intended to become more and more like Jesus. Until at that ultimate end point, we will actually be like him. So I guess you could say that we're here on this earth to be spirit beings in training until the same spirit that was dwelling in Jesus dwells in us in that same fullness. That's why we're here. That's our birthright. That's where we're headed. We're here to learn what it means to live in the spirit more fully, ever more fully. You know, I'm using a term here that is not frequently used in church, the term spirit being. And I'm guessing to some of you that sounds a little bit new agey. But I'm deliberately using that term because I want, it, I want to help us think a little more deeply about what it means. Because I'm aware the more common way that people talk about this is they say, well, I'm a spiritual person. Or my spirituality is important to me. But when you, hear, when you hear that, you typically think of a person who's living according to their highest spiritual values. And that, yes, that's a critical part of the equation, but it, it omits another critical part of the equation. 
When I say that you are a spirit being, you probably think of a being that has great power. A being that has access to numinous power. Your birthright as a spirit being is to tap into and to live with the power of the spirit of God. That's who God made you to be. That's what God made you to experience in your life. And as a person living in God's spirit, we are keenly aware that in any given situation, there's often far more unseen than seen power at work. Our mission as spirit beings in training is to learn how to tap into that and to put it how Paul, if I were to put it how Paul does, to learn to walk according to the spirit rather than the flesh. Now that phrase, as you probably know, recurs throughout the New Testament. And meaning when we encounter a situation in our life, we can respond to it merely as a flesh and blood person with the resources available to us in the world and only what is obvious to our eyes. Or we can take it even deeper and see and sense the spiritual dimensions of a situation and respond with spiritual power in that situation. We are called as God's children to learn to respond to the situations in life in the spirit so that the beauty and power and presence of God and God's love can be channeled through us into those situations. Now, friends, this doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't mean flashes of light. I'm not up here this morning talking about supernatural phenomena that we need to be clamoring after. I believe it can happen in ways that are very simple and very beautiful. One Sunday morning, downtown at the cathedral, a friend of mine in the choir said that they had just finished singing a beautiful mass setting. And now it was time for the dean to take up the, to, to take up the pulpit and to deliver the sermon. And this was, this was a moment of holy expectation that this service had been moving towards. As the dean moved towards the pulpit, there was a teenage boy named Andy in the choir. And he stood up where he was. And if you know the cathedral, the, the choir is up at the front near the altar. He stood up where he was. He tripped over several people as he got out of the choir row, stall row, row. And instead of turning and going out that, there's a back door at the uh, end of the choir stall. He walked instead down the front aisle, down the steps, and into the area where the congregation sits. And my friend found himself thinking, good grief, if he needed to leave at this particular point, instead of disrupting everything and making a spectacle of himself, he could have simply gone out that back door over there. But as he continued to watch, Andy went to the third pew back to sit next to another teenager. And this teenager was Mark. It was a friend of his who on the night before had lost his beloved grandpa. Now, it was a struggle for Mark to even be there in church 
this morning, but he knew, Mark knew, that that's where he needed to, to be. And Andy, seeing him sitting there all alone, being in the spirit in that moment, sensed that God didn't want his friend to be alone. And at the risk of, and here's the point here, at the risk of breaking the liturgical norms of the cathedral, Andy knew in that moment that he had to do what the Spirit was calling him to do, even if others judged him for it. And as my friend watched Andy go down and put his arm around his friend Mark, tears began to fill his eyes because this was beautiful. Somebody was responding in the Spirit to a situation at hand. We are called to become the kind of beings who engage those kind of in, in those kinds of sensitive, beautiful, and generous acts. We've been put here on earth to become these beautiful spirit beings in a process of becoming something so extraordinary that we can't even fully fathom it now. As a spirit being, you've been given a portion of God's spirit and you can let that spirit work through you in amazing ways. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you can control the outcome of every situation. But when we are moving in the rhythm of the spirit, it allows us to transcend that situation and often sometimes to transform a situation. We have a choice, friends. If you're under the illusion of thinking that your purpose in life is to enjoy the creature comforts of life, that God has put you here to be on vacation, then life is going to make not a lot of sense. And it's going to frustrate you often. But once you realize, hey, I'm fundamentally a spirit being, and I'm here in training, and all of these challenges and situations in life are being given to me to develop my soul, all of a sudden, life makes a lot more sense. And so today, I want to challenge us to do, as we're out there in life, and as these situations are being thrown at us, I want us to get into the habit of asking ourselves, what does it look like to respond to this in the spirit? And then to practice those res responses so that your soul can grow as beautiful as God dreams it can be. Let me ask you a question. If we could see your soul right now, maybe in the form of an aura of light, what would we see? Would we see this beautiful, harmonic, colorful soul in perfect balance? Or would we see a soul that's shriveled up and starving to death? You were meant to be a beautiful spirit being. It's your birthright. Learn what it means to live in the spirit. Take that seriously. Go home and when you encounter a situation, don't be like Esau, who just responded to the situation in the flesh. When you encounter a situation today or this week or at work or with your kids or with your spouse, when you encounter a situation, ask, what does it look like here to respond to this situation in the spirit? And then practice. Because who you will be, you are now becoming. Your birthright 
is summarized in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will ultimately be has not yet been revealed. It's too much to fathom. But what we do know is this. When Christ is revealed, we will be like him. That's your birthright. Make the most of it. Keep becoming. Amen.